what? What? No, that you literally sit in front of the computer all day and pretend to do things that you do that once you log off the computer you do in real life. Like the Sims, Monopoly the board game, like the board game. Only psychopaths with control issues like those. uh, That should be my unpopular opinion. I'm gonna write that down for later. That pisses me off. What up, mi gente? It's Vero Fuerte. Yo, the Procol Americano, aka Mexican Natsu. And we're here to help you navigate the world as two Hispanics, Latinos, Latinx, brown people. What are we again? Well, that's what we're here to discover on the End of Spanish podcast. Each week, you'll listen in on two millennial minorities chop it up on what it means to navigate both cultures on and off the internet. Along with the latest in music, movies, and more. Here, here on, on the End of Spanish, Spanish podcast. podcast. What up, what up, what up, mi gente? It is Vero Fuerte. Also, you can go ahead and call me Mayor of Savor City. So move over, Guy Fieri and Flavortown. The voice that you are about to hear is the soothing sounds of pozole bubbling in your mom's estufa. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Ricardo. It's Ricardo Mexicano. You know, your resident neighborhood drug dealer. Uh, scratch that. It is your just neighborhood Mexican just really out here uh, setting an example for the white supremacists that think we uh, we rob, we steal, we cheat. Shout out to Eddie Guerrero, by the way. But, you know, that's not what we are. You know, we're, we're a lot more than that. You know, Mexican Nasu, still in the building, still, you know, causing a ruckus. But at the same time, a, a man you can bring home to your, to your mom. Speaking of men that you can bring home to my mom, I signed up for Bumble. So we are getting some Bumble booze up in here. I'm swiping left, right, conversing, and it made me realize how ancient i feel nowadays and like the modern that i don't know what the heck i should be doing you know it's like you were telling me the other day that i shouldn't give my phone number right away to the guys that dm me on bumble but i don't but okay so apparently there's a tier right okay so after they message me after we talk on bumble then i give them my handle and then wait what and then what happens so you give them like whatever handle you want whether it be twitter instagram the gram, you know the even even facebook to an extent uh-huh. but facebook i feel like it's a little bit more personal even then you know it's, it's usually it's just those two tiers it's literally just social media and then if you feel comfortable with social media so, so it's like dating okay, site dating yeah. site social, social media, media and, then phone See, and i'm like way more old-fashioned because i literally have not like seriously you know been out on the scene since i was 12 years old which sounds really creepy oh yes because 11 year old veronica was definitely out on the scene yeah i was out here you know doing it big what i'm saying is that i don't have a lot of experience in like dating in a really social manner i mean especially once you get out of you know backwards jacksonville yeah out of my teeny tiny podunk town i'm like now that i live in the city yeah like i actually have to befriend strangers and trust that they're not gonna want to like kill me in an alley exactly sowing my oats Spreading a little bit of me here, a little bit of me, not putting all of my eggs in one basket. So they I mean, say. I don't know how much of that you can say when you've already given your phone number out like it's nothing. I didn't know that it was a rule that I shouldn't give away my phone number. I thought that if they asked for it, I should give it, right? And then this is why you and Lindsay tell me that I'm going to get murdered one day. You are. And shout out to Lindsay, by the way, you know, mm-hmm. a friend of the show. So you say you're doing, you think you're doing great, you know. Internet-wise, you know, uh, app-wise. Like, making conversation is, like, so much easier and so much harder at the same time than that. That'd be because, you know, like, 
most of the men that I've at least talked to, like, have evolved past the whole, like, what are you doing? HBY, because you know how I feel about acronyms. Mm-hmm. So, like, that shit wasn't going to fly with it. First things first, man. If you go ahead and you type out a full sentence, like, you already have a brownie point there. Like, like that's a good sign. But no, I'm just taking it one swipe at a time because I don't know what the heck I'm doing over here. What do you think that first interaction is going to be like? For you. Like when I actually meet them in person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's just say, let's just take uh, dinner, for instance. Y- y'all going to meet up at, uh, I don't know, whatever. I don't whatever, know, whatever crazy-ass restaurant I you're, drag you're, to. You're feeling that day. Uh, yeah, what, yeah, what's yeah. the uh What's the, what's the, uh, the, the plan of attack you're going to be going for? I'm going to show them, you know, how we do it out here. Order the best, most extravagant thing on the menu, but uh, split it, you know, because I'm a lady of the modern century. I don't know. Like, is that the rule? Like, seriously, I don't know. Like, do people expect you to pay full price at a meal nowadays? Or do you split it? Or how does this work? I've always been a, a, a fullsy splitsy guy. A fullsy splitsy guy? Yeah, because I'll, I'll naturally pay it full. But if, if she suggests that she wants to split it, uh, I'll definitely go ahead and split it. It's a, it's a whole new world out there for me. And I just feel like Aladdin and Jasmine right now. So it's been really interesting. So Aladdin and Jasmine in one? Yeah, yeah, Both yeah. Of them? Exactly, exactly. Because I'm exposing them to new things and I'm learning how to like navigate this crazy internet dating world that we're in right now. I am like the last single one of any of my girlfriends. Like everybody else is already married off with children and I'm over here just trying to find someone that'll tolerate me. So, you know, it's been fun. It's been fun. I can't wait to uh, actually give you the deets on what happens. You're going to do fine and that they're the ones that are going to have, you're the one that's going to have to be doing the tolerating to them. I don't know. Because we'll I think see. you'll be amazing. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. You know how I do. So. No, no, I don't. <laughs> but didn't you, <laughs> didn't you say that you had something else going on with you this weekend too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, this past weekend I went to go over there with my mom. And we're recording this on a Monday, so yesterday was Sunday, so obviously church was going up in here, you already know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while Veronica was sitting at a thousand miles per hour, I was, you know, <laughs> I was getting my church on, you know, uh, you know, you, you know, you know, you know, being, you know, surrounded by the blood of Christ, you know, mm-hmm. just lifting my spirit as always. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we had a very, we had a really good, we had a really good uh, uh, guest visitor, uh, guest pastor, if you will, mm-hmm. who. Really interesting background. He is originally from uh, South Carolina, and he's uh, he's like sixty he's like sixty something years old now. Uh, really from South Carolina. He talked about his story how he grew up, got into trouble when he was like seventeen, eighteen. Um, joined like a biker gang. The biker gang was doing you know nefarious things, you know selling drugs, you know out here in the streets. And he eventually um, took some other uh, choices in life, gave his life up to God, and. He joined, him and a friend actually joined this missionary to where he moved to Honduras when he was like 19, 20, 21. And since then, he's been in Honduras his whole life as a missionary. Um, so, and, 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 and he gave this whole um, sermon in Spanish. A black man, black man from South Carolina. Oh, wow. Lived his whole life in Honduras since he was like 21. And and as soon as I heard his Spanish, I'm like, that, that is, is dope. As soon as I heard his uh as soon as I heard his Spanish, it is um Immaculate. L- like straight, like not immaculate. Be- um because you can still tell like he has like an accent. Uh-huh. But it's straight like Central American like Spanish. So like when you hear it, yeah, whistle, like the vernacular, like, everything. Pause the every slang, other couple of words, like the we slang, do, everything. Like, it, w- it was so interesting because you know, yeah. he he said like now he he runs like this organization where the, he helps 
kids like who are homeless, who are like involved in gangs, mm-hmm. who've like already killed people, been to jail, have gone out, and tries to like you know rehabilitate really rehabilitate them in a way where it's like not forced to where like they'll show up to like a neighborhood like one of these disenfranchised hoods and like you know start playing soccer and then eventually you know invite them over to the to the place give them a meal you know um and then of course you know eventually the water god and all that go go then there but um yeah it was really it was really interesting just hearing his story and just hearing like how you know he's lived in central america pretty much more of his life than he did ever in in the united states Mm -hmm. and it's just uh it's just kind of it's kind of crazy just where your life will take you that's kind of like what he kept stressing he was like i'm just this this country black black boy that never saw that never left the united states ever and now i'm in this completely different world don't even know the language and now you know fast forward like 40 something years later and you know it's i loved it you know I mean, what did he decide to come back? Did he tell no, you this? He, no, he comes back ever so often just to like give oh, like... Oh, but he still no, lives there. No, he still lives there, yeah. Oh, wow. Man, man is still, he's married to a, a woman from Nicaragua. That is so dope. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he has like, he has like two daughters, I think, something like that. Like, yeah, no, he's fully, like, he, he's never leaving mm-hmm. the Central America. He currently lives in, in Honduras. And I think that's where he like rose to like prominence, like where he got like his name. But I think he's, he's been all over like, you know, Latin America. So what does he do? Does he just like testify? Mi- missionary? Story and no, stuff? missionary. Oh, okay. Like I said, he 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 takes in like just kids who are mainly kids, you know, some adults, but it's, he he mainly focuses on children who have just suffered like a a really bad like really bad life, had had a rough upbringing. I mean, and then like that's crazy because that's uh, actually like assimilation gone really right in a uh, uh, in a kind of really original way, you know, because. Hardly do you ever hear people spend so much time trying to come over here. I mean, for obvious reasons or whatever, but it's really nice to hear sort of like the inversion story of that, where somebody leaves this country and finds their home somewhere else. Yeah. You know, yes, it's, it, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So shout out to him. Um, What's uh, his name? Pastor again? Alvin. Pastor Alvin. Yeah. Yeah. So shout out to him. Uh, they say they call him uh, Papa Alvin. You know, all the kids back home, they call yeah, him, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, shout out to him. You know, great man. Gave, gave a great uh, sermon yesterday. And to add to that, we also want to go ahead and we want to wish a happy birthday to Guillermo Diaz, uh, Latinx actor here in the U.S. Uh, sticking around with just the theme of assimilation and things that are going on in the world today. We do have to acknowledge the uprising of everything that's been going on right now with Asian communities and uh, the racist violence that's been going on with them. To be honest with you, I just got fully educated about exactly what's been going on uh, on with that this earlier this week. One of the big things that have made, made this blow up was about five days ago, right? There was a uh, mass shooting at two separate spas in Atlanta, and they were committed by the Okay, so by three different spas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So three different spas in Atlanta, and they were committed by this uh, this white man who, you know, we're not going to bother saying his name. Uh, You know, he doesn't deserve that much, if at all. Eight people did fall victims whenever he went to go shoot up those spas, and it was uh, six Asian American women along with one white man and one white woman. People are debating back and forth whether or not this was actually a hate crime, which... Yes, has a lot of significance as to whether or not it is or it isn't, but people are also missing a bigger picture that whether or not it's a 
hate crime. It was, it's a hundred percent an unprovoked crime. This man went in here with a, no other intention than to take another human life. And that is a whole nother level of cowardice that I don't even begin to understand. It's sad that it took an event like this also to make people stop and kind of backtrack the past events that have been going on for this past couple of years, uh, for this year because of 2020 and everything that's been happening with the coronavirus. You know, a lot of people are starting to have, I guess, what would you call it, Ricardo? They are just throwing a bunch of prejudices on these people and a lot of people are getting harmed and more often than not killed because of it. Right. And then, yeah, of course, it's definitely the, the, the perceived notion that Asian people are at fault for what happened, what's going on with COVID, you know, that they originated it and that, you Which know. Which makes no kind of fucking sense. No, it doesn't. But also you have to kind of put on top of that the whole fear of, of Asians, particularly China. And like this, this g- giant political power that they hold over the world stage, uh, which uh, I think also plays into a lot of right wing extremists. Like they view China as, you know, they're eventually going to come over to. An, Do you really think that Brad Douglas and like the depths of Louisiana is thinking about that? Yeah, he is. Mm. You, Do you know how big, you know, do you know how much hate there is towards China, Vettel? Like, do you, do you like, do you like keep up with like, as far as like the, cause you know how, you, do you know Chinese U.S. relations in general? Like as far as like on a political level, economic level? Well, yeah, that seeps, that, that has seeped into um the your average white american for the past i would say past 10 years because and a lot of it is due to the rhetoric of 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 trump with his administration and like that but even goes even goes beyond that with obama's administration as well i would say we probably saw a more predominant sign of it with obama's administration so that that that's kind of a hot take what do you mean by that that obama was very very quick to appease Chinese relationships mm-hmm. to make them happy mm-hmm. to you know kind of sacrifice toward certain uh oh and you think that it made certain Americans upset yeah of course that? yeah that you know you're, you're you're being controlled by you know the Chinese that you're being influenced by them okay and, so what do you think their stance was whenever Trump came in office and he was you know calling the coronavirus you know the Chinese virus and the Chinese flu exactly so I think was like what, what went on in the previous administration it just kind of confirmed that 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 notion they already had and now somebody at the highest high, highest position of office is now reaffirming what they already thought in themselves they're like oh look at this China's already been influencing us now the president himself is saying that Chinese people are a threat so now I'm going to take that and now you can't tell me anything at that point so you have this you have that that whole you know extreme xenophobia and now you're actually going to attach it to actual Americans of Asian descent take uh, 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 a, dis- a disgusting stance on on them. Like some of these videos, I promise you, they are hard to watch. There's been several instances from like even the beginning of uh, this past January or so where you just see videos of these men just going around knocking down like elderly uh, Asian women to the ground, elderly like or like slashing uh, slashing an elderly Asian man across the face in the subway with like a box cutter. All of these different things that take for a second for a split second not that you could but take a split second to take race out of it like a lot of these people that are being targeted are the elderly why beyond beyond children would you attack 
like our most vulnerable like that is just a whole nother level of disgusting that i can't even begin i i couldn't even stomach watching most of these videos because it really is heinous to watch it's just a, it's just a extreme level of a cowardness it's just like i think just point it point it simple it's just it's just people who are them then them scale then themselves have this uh uh what's the word i'm looking for an unprovoked fear of that even though this person is probably 70 years old and is mind their own business they, they could probably start. They're seventy years old. I mean, that could be that could be my grandfather. That could mm-hmm. be like your grandmother. Like I don't understand how they don't identify him as that. And it's just like to see them on the news and they're. Oh, I will say that there is like one ridiculously like badass. And I wish I had some. I had her name written down, but I'm not going to say it because I know I would butcher it. And I just I don't want to go there. There was uh, an elderly Asian uh, woman who was, uh, I think, standing out in the street with her grocery cart. And I guess a white blonde man in his 30s came up to her and started attacking her. And then she had a board with her, some sort of like sticker mallet with her that she always carries around for protection. And she started beating the living mess out of this 30-something-year-old man that went up to her and started attacking her to the point where dude over here my dude over here started uh had to get carried away on a freaking stretcher now the woman you know she did suffer damages on her face and you know you do see her with an ice pack to her face and like the only thing that people could make out that she was saying over and over again that like other asian americans that were around her translated for us was saying like he hit me he, he hit me the the bum out of nowhere hit me and it's so strange because you watch in this video and the the 30-year-old white man is being carried away on a stretcher by all of these paramedics and stuff. And, like, nobody's tending to... I mean, no, like, paramedic is tending to the lady. And I'm sure, like, it's just a clip. So you don't see what happens, like, right before or right after. But it's just a really crazy sight to see how this unprovoked attacker at the end of the day is still being taken care of in such a in such a like cautionary way that we don't see a lot of minorities you know being taken care of when something similar happens anyway she was a badass so like shout out to her for going out there and like defending herself when someone that is probably 10 times stronger faster bigger than her came out came out there and tried to attack her so shout out to her for real yeah for sure i kind of want to take this conversation in a, in a slightly different route mm-hmm. um what do you think of kind of like the narrative that was going around prior to the, the attack of uh, march 16 against these uh predominantly asian businesses to where i was seeing a lot on twitter and social media where some people felt like the recent um you know attack verbally physically whatever it may be against the asian community was kind of like being like pushed away by other minorities like what did you mean, see like that? Like there it wasn't a lot of uh, focus on it. It was like it was like what, what I would see time and time again on Twitter, for instance, mm-hmm. was like, "Oh, y'all want our sympathy now, Asian community." But when Black Lives Matter was going on, y'all didn't really step up. Which you, which we know is a big hyperbole because there were races, mm-hmm. there were all sorts of races supporting Black Lives Matter. You know, just to, just and had a, a strong uh, sentiment for change at that time. But I think there's always been this very big notion, but across other minorities that the Asian community rather would rather be seen as white than than Asian themselves. They would rather and be would, more assimilated. Yes, they they would be quicker to assimilate and side with white people than to ever consider themselves a person of color. Mm-hmm. And and I and I think and I, I think that's where a lot of that 
that that uh that pushback was like you know we're we're not we don't care what's happening to you because you didn't care what was happening to us kind of thing. I almost feel I'll, I'll be straight up honest with you. I almost don't feel right talking about it because when we're talking about this specifically, I feel like primarily what the two communities that we're talking about is the black community and the Asian American community. Those ideally we want to all stand together we want to know that you know because we have we don't necessarily have the upper hand uh systematically in this country that we all try to help each other whenever we can and whenever causes like black lives matter comes about that we all unify in that manner but at the same time i have been friends with members of the black community that have at one point or another have you know, said to me, whether it's casual, casually or not, that they do resent certain sectors of not just the Asian community, but I mean, bringing it back to our Latinidad, sometimes I've been told that there's certain sectors of the Latinidad, of the Latin community that members of the black community resent because there's certain parts, there's certain members of us that try so hard to assimilate with what we consider success you know, and unfortunately, a lot of that in this in the system in America that equates to whiteness. So success in whiteness, you know, like we care more about, you know, classism and like uh, and making sure that, you know, we get in good with the white man than we do actually helping out our own or helping out others like us. Like I said, I feel almost strange because I can't speak to it from the perspective of an Asian American, but I know that the only thing that I've ever been able to say as a Latina or as a Latin American is that whenever we say the phrase that we are not a monolith, that comes with both its good and its bad connotations. That just like any other community, there's going to be some that are for the better good and for the raza than anybody else. But none of us, no matter how much we want to are going to be able to escape discrimination or some sort of racism, no matter how much some of us try to quote-unquote pass. I mean, ever since, like, 1992 and, you know, the L.A. riots and, like, that whole situation with the convenience stores. Yeah, a lot of Korean uh, convenience stores were attacked, you know, pretty much based off the notion that that a lot of those convenience stores had some sort of racist element to them against Hispanics, against black people. Against black people specifically, yeah, during around the L.A. because there was that shooting of that black woman. I think she was a teenager at the time. Then she was uh, shot down at an Asian convenience store. This These kind of sentiments carry over and create a lot of tension within us that I don't think that should be there because it distracts us from the bigger picture out of the stuff that we really should be fighting against. Yeah, and it's crazy because when when, when the... The, the shooting spree happening last week, I immediately thought to uh, the Walmart killings in t- 2019 in El Paso. Mm. You know, 23 people dead, all, a majority Hispanic, if not all Hispanic, if I, if I can recall. And I and I and that kind of like just brought it back to my head, where it's like people don't realize how much some people hate others. Like, to go to the extreme to where women and children and men in a Walmart shopping and, and, you know, what you assume a safe community can be mowed down like it's nothing. And I think some people still don't can't grasp the reality that some individual can have that much hatred within them. I'll be honest, like, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around it. 
call me naive, call me whatever. I'd still walk around most of my days thinking that most of the people in this world is, are inherently somehow good. It's moments like this when I sit down and I watch the news. I don't know if it makes me question my philosophy behind most people being all good, but it does make me more aware of how much power hatred can have if it lives in people's hearts long enough. And that's what's really scary about it. Another interesting thing to talk about, this is the first time I'd heard this phrase, model minority myth. It's like you said, it's like whenever a minority assimilates to whiteness in the sense of that you have to be the best, you have to get, you know, you have to climb the corporate ladder, you have to be economically successful. And then there's this like stereotype within Asian American communities that they're so quote unquote successful and they're so quote unquote close to whiteness that creates this uh, barrier between them and other minorities who see themselves as struggling more than Asian Americans, you know, but I've just seen mostly a lot of people speaking out, a lot of Asian Americans speaking out about this modern minority myth, saying that it is just that it is a myth, you know, and like not all of us not all of us are a monolith, just like any, just like any other race, and to treat us as such, and to note that at the end of the day, like what we're arguing about is like minutia. We shouldn't even be here discussing whether or not, because it feels like I know that you and I are not doing this, Ricardo, but it feels like almost you and I are hashing out how, like, the value they have as a minority. Yeah, you're not you're not as as oppressed as me. Yeah, 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 yeah. The oppressive the oppression Olympics, Olympics yeah. basically. Yeah, 2022. And none of us none of us should be playing this game. The, the oppression Olympics is nothing to play with. Is I mean, it's it's a funny concept. It's a hilarious concept actually. <laughs> actually. Uh, but in all realness, we should know better than this already. I and I'm not even necessarily talking about white culture because like white culture is going to take years and years and years of dismantling before we actually get anywhere where all of us feel safe and all of us feel protected. That's just the ugly truth about it. But if nothing else, then we want at least Asian Americans to know in in this ILS podcast, I mean, we stand together and like we stand with you along with any other minority that, you know, is unjustly targeted against. So for sure. And, and and like I said, it goes super, super deep. I mean, we could go take it back to World War II when Hitler thought the ja- the Japanese were the the the, the white the, uh, the the superior race of Asia. You know, he he viewed them as like the white the Aryans mm-hmm. of Asia. And it's just it's it's a very very it's com- a very muddled it's very history. complicated. It's a, yeah, it's a very complicated history as to like why. And I feel like it's more modern than we think as to like why we feel that the Asian community more times than not have falling almost into the same category as the typical white American, mm-hmm. you know, and I say typical in the sense of like somebody who like has these racist views, you know, obviously there's, there's tremendous and, and decent white people out there that are, that are amazing, but they fall into that category of like, I'm successful and I don't care about the, I don't care about the issues that are going on in other communities kind of, kind of mm-hmm. thought, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that I really can't speak on. I have to do a lot more research to figure out where that origin came from. Addressing some other stuff that is actually happening more locally here, particularly in Dallas, Texas, right, Ricardo? Oh, yeah. I mean, not just Dallas, but, uh, you know, across the whole state of Texas, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the recent Im- Im- immigration situation going on is similar to what happened in 2018 with the uh, the caravans coming from Central America. 
and a lot of the uh, children and teenagers pretty much coming unaccompanied uh, seeking asylum. And there's been a lot of talk once again that these, while these kids aren't being directly sent back, which I think is okay, and you know, and it and it kind of sets this this president that they're not just viewed as you know they're viewed as humans in one sense but in another sense when you start looking at the condition that they're currently in that's where you know the problems start arising so you know you have like the kids in cages you have the kids in uh these like aluminum blankets oh well, no 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 hold up hold up ever since biden's administration it's been uh, reworded they're no longer in cages ricardo mexicano they're in holding facilities they're cages <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, so, yeah, so yeah. Much, they are. They are so much so that that they've been very tight lipped about mm-hmm. letting certain people inside the detention centers, and there was some recent pictures that uh, pictures that that, li- that leaked uh, either today or a few days ago before the weekend uh, that showed some of these conditions. Um, and you know, they're pretty much the same as they were when we first saw them a couple of years ago. So, what is actually isn't being it done? Crazy, isn't it crazy how just because we change, we switch over from one administration, all of a sudden people want to think that like all of the world's problems that we were complaining about six months ago magically went away? It doesn't work like that. No, and I mean, and that's what a lot of people are under under the assumption mm-hmm. that this new administration is suddenly doing. Wave the magic wand, and suddenly there's not issues at the border, and there's not people being separated from their families, and todo está bien, you know? Nah, baby, nah. Exactly, and they're very they're very reluctant to call it a crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think so far the number is like fifteen thousand children in total. So how many? So you sent me an article actually a couple of days ago that there was uh, something very very local happening in Dallas, right, in regards to teenagers being escorted here in buses, right? Yes. Yeah, so about two hundred arrived on Thursday or Wednesday night. Uh, they arrived to the to uh, Dallas, Texas. Yes, to a convention center. They're being held in the convention center, which is kind of being used as a makeshift holding slash you know detention center until the the children can be properly arranged a you know either meet up with their family in the United States or possibly you know be sent back if you know things just can't be settled while they're here. Um. I know I saw a little news clip we watched a little bit before we started where some of the helpers, some of the volunteers are going in just to just to have just so these kids can have like a reassurance of like somebody that looks like them, somebody that can speak their language and like let them know that things can, are going to be OK. Mm-hmm. Um, of, of course, that doesn't apply across the board. And some kids are, you know, very much afraid. You know, they don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of hits pretty close to home because I've had family members who have gone through this. And luckily, you know. We are the family within the United States that was able to take them in. But, you know, I've had family members, you know, state, uh, different state other than Texas hold up for a couple months, those detention centers, before they can finally come live with us. So, you know, it's a very complicated process. There's a lot of craziness happening in Central America because this is where the majority of people are coming from. Sometimes I feel like if if the conditions are right, they should stay here and work out their, their case. But even then, like, I feel like kind of sending them back could also, depending on their condition, there could also be better I for mean, them. But they left for a reason. They did That's leave the for thing is that we don't know what everybody's special circumstances they, are. They did leave for a reason. But what I'm saying is that if they have nobody here, you know mm-hmm. what 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 other option do you have? Because mm-hmm. at least back home they have a mother or a father or something. 
Like, what do you do with teenage? What do you do with kids under the age of and like twelve? And then, what do you do when uh, a lot of, them, in a lot of circumstances, their mother and their father are the ones that pushed them to go? Exactly, and, that, know, and that's what happened they a thought, lot. You know, it's one of those things where if I can't make it through, at least like my children will. You know, exactly. And I've and I've seen that happen time and time again within my own circle and my mm-hmm. own family of like kids who have pretty much lived with us without their mom and dad. You know, eventually they came over, but it took them very a lot of time, a lot of years. Yeah, yeah, they... but they're always gonna put their children first. Like if they have to pick one or the other, they're gonna say, "No, Mijo, you go ahead." And it's and it's, it is a kind of a new phenomenon too. Well, I wouldn't say new, but I have my personal experience when seeing that was first in the exposure of the parent coming over, mm-hmm. and then they will leave the kid with like an aunt or or their grandmother, mm-hmm. and the mom or dad would come over to work for a bit get get settled and eventually they'll have the kid brought over mm-hmm. but now we, we're seeing more of a flip to where it's the kid first go with a family member what do you think that is so which one's better which method is better and which method is worse i, I really don't know i really yeah. i really can't make that call yeah i think they both have their pros and cons i mean mm-hmm. just kind of i always i always thought it was kind of very sad when i had certain family members that were here in the united states but they lived their kids back and i always thought like man it's kind of messed up because always in the back of my mind i'm like I'm sure you're sending money to your kid and you're trying to provide for him the best you can while you're here. But the fact that you're not there, that can do, I feel like that can do a lot to a, to a kid, mm-hmm. you know, not having their parents around from like that very young. Cause like I said, like some of my family members, the kids they left behind, they left them when they were like five or six. Yeah. And they but didn't then see if it. like they shove them out here, then, you know, they're basically living with complete strangers or by themselves. Mm-hmm. So don't Either say that, way, they're by themselves. Don't say they're lucky if they have family members. Even yeah. though they've never met the family members probably ever in their life, they... But they'll have family members either way because if they stay behind, I'm assuming that they're staying behind with a mom or a grandma or someone. Right. So like I said, it's, very, it's a very complex issue. Mm-hmm. And one that I don't think is going to be solved anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And with that, uh, we want to move into another very heavy-handed topic, but very brief and quick. Uh, so today's Monday... March 22nd, and we received news that in Boulder, Colorado, there was a shooting at a supermarket. Um, I think the supermarket name was King Super, super spelled S-O-O-P-E-R. Uh, super. Mm-hmm. So far, there's been one person in custody. There's been photos, and I think there was some video flowing around of the person in custody. It looked like he was just in his underwear, um, but that is all Wait, we know so far. he was He was in the underwear. In those pictures, he's just in his underwear. Really? Wow, do they know if, like, he has any history of, like, mental health issues? Or? Nobody knows nothing right now. That is crazy. I don't. He could have taken his clothes off in the process of being yeah, arrested. Yeah, 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 that's true. That's what I'm thinking. But, you know, we just want to send our prayers and condolences out to the, you know, the people right now. And just know that, you know, it's just craziness out there everywhere. And and what, it's kind of like what you said earlier about, you know, maybe it's you being naive. That, you know, maybe you want to think that everybody has that goodness in their heart. And yeah, I, I truly believe that too. But I also live with the thought in my brain every day that somebody out there would rather see you dead. I don't know. Now, there's one way the other more than the other. Of, of course, I do genuinely believe that there are great people out there. Most of my interactions in life have been with great people. Even people may have done some like quote unquote. I, I, most of my the interactions in my life have been with really, really average people. And I, I just believe in my gut that really, really average people do not care enough about you enough to kill you. You know, or, or like, I just, I, I just don't. The average person 
it does not have that much energy or have that much hate in their hearts. I just, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. Well, we're not dealing with average people. Exactly. But that's what I'm saying. I'm talking about the average person because you were talking about the average person. And then you were talking about how they, how great they are. I'm like, you don't have to be great to be not evil. And that's like my whole point, you know? Well, yeah, of course you don't have to be great to not be evil. You know, you got to just keep your head on a swivel. Of course, when stuff like this happens, when it's like the most innocent of innocent people in a, yeah. in a situation that can't be avoided, of course, what do you do then? And that's kind of like the, the real messed up part about it. Yeah, the aftermath. Like, what is the mandate? What's going to be done so we can try to prevent this from happening? You know, and that's kind of where we're all at right now, when, whether it comes to this mass shooting or anything else that's been going on. It's been a heavy-ass week this week, so... Uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to try to move on to something a little more lighthearted. Our unpopular opinions this week. I have this firm belief. Sims Live and Monopoly. I don't understand the appeal. Tell me why as a kid, as a five, six, seven, eight year old kid, you would stand around in the board game and you would pretend to pay taxes and pay your rent. Purchase property. And- and purchase property and things that now, let me know. Would, why would you practice adulting when all you should be caring about is beanie babies and power rangers some of the things you just mentioned don't even apply to monopoly you don't pay rent in monopoly i don't, I don't know like they, <laughs> i have played monopoly like once in my life you say but, adulting okay. like yes <laughs> Yes, I just, I, I remember when I was a kid, like, I had such a hard stance. Like, I would go over to a friend's house and they would want to play life, right? Where you, like, gather all the little little action figures and you get the husband and the kids and all of that. I'm like, I just want to go outside and play. I don't want to make believe I have to worry about a mortgage and a car payment right now. Like, why is this fun for some people? That is my imp- very unpopular opinion. I know people that are heavy about The Sims life. That want to create their own houses y todo eso. And I personally think, no offense to any of y'all, but I think it's got a con- it's a bit of about a control issue more than anything else. It gives you peace of mind to be able to, you know, set your own virtual world and how you control it, which everyone's got their own coping mechanisms. I just don't get it. I don't get it. I or, think it's weird. I think it's weird. Or Veronica. No. Veronica Perez. This is my unpopular opinion. Slash or, fact. Or. Uh-huh. It can maybe, maybe, and this is a crazy thought, but I'm about to say, uh-huh. maybe it's just fun. Why is it fun to pay rent? Why is it fun to, I don't even know what all the, um, all the little squares on the Monopoly board game is supposed You're to You're not be. paying rent. Uh, why is it, why is it fun to like bail yourself out of jail? Like, I don't get that. Isn't that in real life traumatizing? First of all, Monopoly, like I, like I said, uh, early, like, I, like I was trying to say earlier, like I was trying to say earlier. I'm so mad. Right you, you, you act like Monopoly's like Monopoly adulting. Monopoly is the most horrible game, like. You think, really Veronica, you think Monopoly is adulting, Veronica? You think Monopoly is adulting? Monopoly is like the furthest thing away from reality that most people will never have to deal with. What's that one board game? No, what's that one video game that people have? Hold on, hold on. Uh, I'm going to train a thought here. What's that one board game that people do with the... Uh, that's not Sims, but they have a pickaxe. And they, like, build things. Oh, Minecraft. Yes, yes, oh. okay. So it's a video game, right? Minecraft's incredible. I think I've never played Minecraft, but I give people who play Minecraft a pass because it's kind of like playing electronic Legos. Okay, so I get that. I get that. I don't get, like, how paying pretend bills with pretend money is fun. Like, I just... It is It is the uh, the competition. Just... It, is, it is the competition part of Veronica. 
You realize competition so you, for what? You're capitalism? You're destroying straight up capitalism? You're, yeah, you're destroying your your the your opponents. That means you can't be a Democrat. You can't be a liberal Democrat and play Monopoly. Okay, social, you bunch of social, hypocrites. Social Democrat. Sorry, you can't be a social Democrat and play Monopoly. You bunch of hypocrites. Your political stance <laughs> has nothing to do with my fun time at this board. All right, I'm gonna have fun oh when, when you gosh. have a bunch of friends that are goofy and, and are about to turn up to some Monopoly. Dad, you're about I, to I go don't crazy. Play sorry, like at least sorry is like a game you of have like some, really intense betrayal. You have some 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 sorry pla- or Uno. some plain friends that they could, you couldn't no. get down with with Monopoly. No, like so- you you want to know what is like the baddest board games ever? Sorry and Uno will make the best friends the of deepest course. and darkest of enemies. Of course, I've been there. But Monopoly will that do that too. No, no, fuck Monopoly. Mon- Monopoly, you know what? I, ma- I just want to preserve my childhood spirit. You know what makes Monopoly okay. so toxic and fun? Apart those from those games, that's like that's not what she said. But this is what. Let's, is, let's pretend you didn't actually. But say this that is what it. this is for, and like that, I'm about to explain my take. Uh-huh. Why it's so toxic and fun is the money element. Taking that sweet cash from somebody else's hands, taking that property, the road. All you're doing is training little kids to be drug dealers. Their railroad and, and real and, estate and that's, agents. And that's what we need in life. Drug dealers and real estate agents. That's okay, what we those need are in the life. only kids that play Monopoly. I need more kids. drug dealers and real estate agents. I need more kids on the block slanging it. Come on. like You think, you think I'm about <laughs> to like deny that? Come on. Let's go. Oh, um, my gosh. Like, I, I love it. Like, the whole money part of it is what sets it apart. Like, just you taking those sweet hundreds. From that person sitting across from me, like, man, give me that, bro. Give me the railroad track. Give me, give me, give me a uh, ocean drive. Give me, uh, give no, me all the like, streets. Fuck, fuck all of that. I did. I think I did play like a Harry Potter version of Monopoly the once, and that was kind of interesting. But I would, I would even rather play Clue. I think this is my Clue's issue. Is that even as a kid, I think I took games way too seriously if they had too much of a realistic element to them. And that's my issue with Monopoly. That's my issue with life. That's my issue with Sims. It's too much like real life. Like. Board games and video games are supposed to be a form of escapism. And I'm almost kind of surprised that I didn't hate Clue because, you know, Clue has a lot to do with like a whodunit sort mm-hmm. of murder thing. And you know me, I hate, I hate that kind of stuff. I'm such a, I'm, I'm such a weenie, but like, you are. I, but what I'm saying is that Monopoly, Life, The Sims, they suck. Creepy control freak slash future drug dealer slash future real estate agents. Well, yeah, that's, that's my very unpopular opinion. Oh, uh, folks. Whatever you just looked through for the past five minutes, it's all wrong. Uh, probably one of the worst takes I've ever heard in my life. Whatever. What's your unpopular opinion? Worst thing ever. Who are you to say that that life simulator? Because it's disassociation. It's very unhealthy. But who do you say that life simulators can't be escapism as well for some folks? Then, then people who enjoy watching regular like TV show that have to deal with real life, they, that's not a form of escapism. Just by that same notion. I don't know. It depends. Like, be, it depends. Because, you said like, that everyday life can be an escape. TV shows and movies are meant for you to relate to them. Okay. I you can't relate BS. to Sims. I no, call it's BS. not BS. I call what, are BS. You call, what are you trying to call out my unpopular opinion? Okay. <laughs> <sighs> I'm just thinking there's some flaws in your in your opinion. but I don't think so. We'll I think it. it is unpopularly perfect, if you ask me. Now, give me yours so I can go ahead and poke all the holes in it. I'm in. Um, so mine, uh, uh-huh. terrific opinion that's all based in facts, uh-huh. <laughs> is has to do with, I believe that money can actually buy happiness. What do you mean? I, and, I, and I think mine has more of a what you can do for somebody that can buy happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to take, because I don't truly believe personally for yourself that can be a thing because there's always going to be that one thing missing. But I truly believe that if you have the capital, 
if you have the expenditure, because there's a big difference between you making somebody happy because they love you or whatever, and there's a big difference between you making that person happy or whatever, and you also have a lot of cash. And what do you mean? What does you having cash have anything to do with the other person? That you you are providing for them. Okay, well you skipped that part. Yeah, yeah, that you that you have money. It's not, it's, not, it's not like that you just have money over here sitting around, and you're like, <laughs> hey girl, look at me, I have money. Yeah, no, not, not that. It's the fact that you have certain relationships. You are, and th- like, let's just, let's just talk about a, a relationship that, if, like, a normal relationship. Of course, they have their problems. Of course, they have their good. But you also happen to be uh, the CEO of of a Chase Bank somewhere in you know in up in upstate New York. The fact that you have that money ultimately may not provide that sense of happiness that I guess we all are yearning for. But it makes it a lot easier to obtain. Just by that sheer notion, it, it's kind of true. The cars making you happy, the video game system making you happy, the 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 camera that you're buying to start your YouTube channel, the the uh, the the many hours you're putting to you know develop a certain software for a, for it to, that you can sell off to a big computer to to a bigger uh, software company, you know your investments in certain things, and that turning out a profit or whatever it may be is generating making you happy in the end. I don't know if money can buy happiness. I believe that money can buy peace. It can also, like, disrupt a lot of peace. Uh, Money provides safety. Money provides access. Money provides peace. I think all of those things, the combination of all of those things, access, privilege, peace, can lead ultimately to happiness. What about money that is hidden? Hidden. Like what? Like a California gold rush or some shit? Or like uh, Mr. Krabs underneath his mattress? No, 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 no. no. We're not talking about Eugene Krabs. I want to talk. I I say that in in the in the sense that there are somebody that's doing things. Let's say good things for the community, for their their family. But like I said, the money is hidden, hidden dollars. If if you were, because I think what happens a lot when it comes to happiness and money is the way you show it. It boils down to being humble about it. That as long as you can show, as long as you can do it, but never show it, that money is ultimately providing happiness for somebody. Because the moment you start whooping it out and flaunting it like it's a it's a little dark video, it's over. People are gonna assume. <laughs> know what I'm saying people are gonna assume that that you are you are shallow, you are greedy, you are this this and that. But if you can maintain this nuance to where. You have the money. You got millions in the bank, but you're building schools in Africa. You're providing for your family. Like Oprah. Yeah, people. Like will Oprah's got dollars. Billions, billions. Like dollars, dollars, dollars. But the fact that she didn't show it, I think, makes a difference. She shows it plenty. No, she shows it in her actions, but she's not flaunting it. Yeah, because she wears like Louis Vuitton gowns and shit. Is that, prove my point. What are you talking about? Like she shows it just as much as she gives it. I think the good outweighs the, the flaunting, though. Is what I'm saying. I guess. Why, why do you think people have problems with like the money phone? You know, people over here are selling big stacks as, using as a cell phone. You know, people don't like that as much as I love it. I love people you know showing off the, the you know the, the fat stacks. Yeah, like, like aren't you like isn't like one of your dream objects to buy yourself one day is so, like a Louis Vuitton like hoodie or something? Yeah, like I'm buying that? myself Supreme. I'm buying all that. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. care. I'm just saying that I think the the problem that most people have comes down to just somebody not being humble. I'm just saying that ultimately. Ultimately, that money can indeed buy that happiness that everybody tries to more so prove that it can't. I think money can buy access, peace, and uh, privilege, which can lead to happiness. But I don't think that it automatically buys happiness. 
Matt, what's your unpopular opinion? Did yep. Mm-hmm. What else did you have for me today? Instead of a H-E double hockey stick Twitter, uh, what I actually want to do this time around is a little bit more lighthearted. And I, I'm, I'm just messing around with the title, but I want to call it Way to Go Twitter. What I found what I found on uh, on the Bird app is a really cool thread that I think you also enjoy, Veronica. And uh, somebody just tweeted, if you often procrastin- procrastinate, open this. And then from there, he starts a thread where it says, stop being a perfectionist. The root of procrastination for most people ain't a laziness. It's anxiety. Uh, it, it, I know your anxiety will tell you the worst case scenario. It's a damn li- It's a damn liar. If you're a procrastinator, you will find every excuse not to do what you need to do. But here's an advice. Do it first. I call it reverse procrastination. Uh, fill your heart and mind with positive things. Music helps a lot. Stand up, put on your favorite song, and watch how you get the job done faster. Challenge yourself. Reward yourself after a job well done. It might feel like it might feel like fun, but trust me, procrastination is the enemy of success. Um, and he goes on and on and goes on and on and on. Um, kind of, I think the, the second tweet kind of boiled it down to where it's like it's not so much laziness but anxiety. Oh yeah, for sure. Whenever I procrastinate, like let me tell you something, mi gente. Like it is entirely. Like, and you know how I, you've seen me, Ricardo, in this apartment, how I procrastinate is I go into the kitchen and I eat something when I'm supposed to be, you know, writing up resumes or like working on something for the podcast or practicing my Espanol, whatever. Like whenever I feel like there's something that is making me nervous and I don't want to do it, I go in there and I eat shredded cheese straight out the bag. Like somebody who has an awesome roommate that buys shredded cheese. Yeah, that buys jumbo bags of shredded cheese just for me and my anxiety. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, welcome. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, but I, I completely relate to that because procrastination, all it is, is like the anxiety of like the thing that you have to do the most. Um, I try to wake up every morning and think about the thing that I'm looking forward the least to doing and try to do that first. Um, but I really feel like it's up to individuals. Um, I know some people that work better with like doing a couple of the easy things in the morning just to say that, hey, I got a couple of wins off my list to sort of like boost morale and then dive into the hardship of your day. And some people, you know, it works the opposite. So everyone's different. But I, I relate to that heavy man. Like procrastination is nothing but anxiety for me in which I cover up by eating tons and tons of ice cream. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, and I just want to end it with another little piece of a thread that says the best way to get something done is to begin. So way to go, Twitter. Um, you reside in the ninth circle of hell, but sometimes you're OK. Yeah, sometimes you're OK. What we have last but certainly not least is a glow this week for me. Um, I got to and I mentioned this partially because, you know, a little bit in honor of everything that's been going on with the Asian community lately. But more than anything else, um, just because it's a damn good movie, my good looking out for this week is going to be always be my maybe. So uh, this is a movie that came out in 2019. It stars Ali Wong and Randall Park who is actually one of my bigger celebrity crushes right now. And it is your classic rom-com. It's very, very original. It's about two Asian-American kids that basically grow up in, I think, where is it, in California, I think? Yeah, uh, San Francisco. Yeah, they they grow up in San Francisco, and uh, they're the best of friends. And, you know, they're both really, like, into hip-hop and things like that. And uh, they basically grow up more or less like... Uh, 
uh, childhood sweethearts. Ali Wong, she ends up being like a really famous chef, and she and and she and Randall Park, who Randall ends up being a plumber of sorts and just you know working for his dad and stuff. They end up reuniting when they're older. Comedy ensues. Keanu Reeves is in it. It's probably if you haven't seen it, always be my maybe is one of the more fun and hilarious and charming rom-coms that you that you'll have been able to catch these past couple of years i say that because i mean if we're all being really honest rom-coms are i mean outside of like certain exceptions like uh, to all the boys i've loved before and stuff like that they've had sort of a hit and miss these past couple of years uh just because it's really hard personally i think that people find it hard nowadays to like hit strike the right balance in the rom-com between you know empowerment and equal representation and also just having a fresh take on uh on the idea of a romantic comedy in general and how to make it different but how to also make it inclusive and how to make it genuinely genuinely funny and i feel like always be my maybe again with ali wong and randall park does a really good job of putting the comedy in a romantic comedy and also making you feel really good at the end of the day. So this one you can stream on Netflix. I have already rewatched it like two or three times since it came out and I love it each and every time. So if you're in the mood uh, with all of this, you know, really heavy handed stuff going around in the news lately, if you want to put something on that is representative and hilarious and just makes you feel good, Always be my maybe on Netflix. Highly, highly recommend. I give it a solid eight and a half out of ten Veronica stars. I second that. Uh, Veronica was the one that put me onto it, mm-hmm. and right now she's she her her heart is probably lighting up because I said that because she always loves it when when she, people give me clout when people give her the credit for something. I'm yes. not gonna say cloud just to you know not give her that. Yeah, you know, no, 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 I'm, no. I'm here okay, to. You don't have to say. I'm here to take know. it. Up. I'm My here to. Taste is flawless, Rico. I'm here to make sure she this. doesn't get any of it. That's mm-hmm. what I'm here for, ultimately. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, not for real. But it's a great, great movie. I really like a lot of the um, the dynamics of the two. Really great um, acting on both parts, and pretty much everybody in the movie had a very, I very, so much. very great um, <laughs> performance. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm glad they had the hip hop elements in there too, because yeah, for they me. Really did. For me, the I don't. Soundtrack was so good. For me, I'm somebody who doesn't know anything about hip hop, so it was nice to like see something and like really learn about um, that side of something I'm not too well versed in. Yeah. Okay. So, you see me? I'm rolling my eyes so, behind the mic. But so okay. you know, it was really nice. You know, uh-huh. just just the musical element. He was part of like that band too. Remember that was like oh, his side yeah, hustle. Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. was kind of like his side side hustle. Okay, and, and those of you guys who actually don't know who Randall Park is, you'll have seen him in a lot of different things. He's really been blowing up lately, and I could not be more proud of him. He uh, plays um, one of those government agency guys in WandaVision. Yeah, he's in WandaVision. He plays uh, the FB- FBI. Uh, Fresh, the dad from Fresh, Fresh Off, off the, the Boat. boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he's just been in a lot of stuff. He's been killing the game lately, and his I mean, his star is only getting bigger and bigger, so... Again, I recommend it if you're in a mood to laugh and like just enjoy some lighthearted TV, man. Yeah, and if y'all know any anything more about uh, the genre of hip hop that y'all want to recommend to me, like as far as the documentaries or anything like that, that I can put myself in because I'm really trying to learn about this hippity hop music. Just let me know, you know, put yeah, put your boy yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just send them a DM at uh, at Mexican Natsu on the on the Twitter sphere and just school him a little bit on this uh, thing called hip hop that he's never heard about. Yeah, never, okay. never in my life. Yeah, yeah so please, yeah. Mexican under uh, Mexican underscore Natsu. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. And what is your pick for this week? So my pick consists of a docu-series on HBO, exclusive to HBO Max, just to get out that, that out the way. That concluded actually not last week, but the week 
prior. How many episodes? Four episodes in total. I'm talking about the Pharaoh versus Allen docuseries. Uh, Mia Pharaoh and Woody Allen and the craziness that ensued during the relationship. And pretty much going into detail as to why Mia Pharaoh is a sweet, sweet angel and why Woody Allen is a, detestable, a, is a detestable human being. That should have been locked up a long time ago. If so you, how are the episodes broken up? So episodes are broken up in more so like the relevant. They're kind of broken up by like chapters as to like how Woody was doing at a certain part with Mia. But also they also broke it up into like the main focus of that episode. You know, so one had to deal with, you know, Mia and and, and Woody's adopted um, daughter that, you know, played a key, key role. And, like, why, I don't even want to say a key role, because I don't want to just reduce her down to that. But that was that was one of the main victims for Woody Allen. And somebody that has suffered a tremendous amount of trauma, you can just see by watching the documentary. Uh, but it also goes into the other side of Woody Allen that shows him as being very uh, a predator that likes to groom, you know, once again, people within his family. Even though these people aren't his blood, um, just the, the sheer the sheer notion and, and the way he talks and the, his actions are enough to let you know that this is somebody that will take advantage of your trust and really uh, push him to, a, to the limits to where most, I feel like most people won't go there, of course. Question, did you know about Woody Allen, uh, who he was as a... Um director writer screenwriter like did you know about his accomplishments before you knew about the controversy i have yeah i knew about i had no idea i've heard about like certain movies you know annie hall of course manhattan i've heard of some of them i didn't know he was prolific as he was like doing like a movie every single year since like the 60s mm-hmm. or like the late early 70s i didn't know he was like that that yeah, big a deal iconic. people used to say it's like you're not a true new yorker until you spot woody allen on the street somewhere. exactly yeah but i'm also mexican i'm also from texas so Woody Allen is the last thing on my mind. Probably, to be I honest, mean, that doesn't to be honest. I mean, I'm obsessed with Barbara Streisand, and I'm not Jewish, right? You know, so. right, 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 right. But you're amazing. But like for me, like the last thing, the last thing for me that most people probably expect is to be a fan of of Woody Allen. That's just not my forte. You know, it's not really my cup of tea. So I could really care less about him. But I knew of him. I knew of the reputation. I didn't of, know of him until like uh, until people, you know, started saying things you know in the background of little conversations here and there's like oh yeah he's really gross blah blah blah. and this documentary comes out and i mean it really gave me a breakdown of everything that i think the sorry it's it's your good looking out but i did watch some of it with you i think they did a good job of explaining at the same time why he was such a big deal and how that was impacted and how he impacted you know these people's personal lives and how easy it is to see to see two different sides of one human being. Right. Yeah. And I think. Yeah. And it's good that you brought that up because a, a big part of the of the docu series is bringing up the whole, you know, the cancel culture thing of you know Me Too, like of how how loved he is by you know the arts by by filmmakers, and to think that that side of Woody Allen exists, it was very it, it was very difficult for people to. To, to, to accept that, but at the same time, it. to accept it, but at the same time, very easy for them to, re- to be like, that didn't happen. So let's just forget yeah, about yeah, it and let's, let's, all like, let's focus on people, the good. Yeah, yeah. You see very, very like A-list actors 
that are just like, oh, well, you know, I can't really speak to that. You know, we really don't have all the information to set in the other, which, I mean, if it was an average person, you would automatically shun them. But because, you know, he has such a high standing and so, and I mean not just high standing as in his like reverence and his talent and his skill which is undeniable but also like just money you know um he has a lot of money to throw around here people have a lot of uh, his money to lose if he doesn't want to work with them or whatever and that unfortunately that creates a lot of uneven power I think of I have a confession to make actually Ricardo after I finished watching the four-part docuseries with you of uh of that Pharaoh versus Alan, uh, while you were away, I actually, um, I went out of my way to find Annie Hall because I had never seen it before. And after I watched this documentary, like showing all the atrocious, horrible, awful things that he did, I watched Annie Hall in the entirety. And you know what? It was fantastic. Yeah. Diane Keaton is amazing in that movie. It was and, fan- and so he is, and he's good doing it too. It was fantastic. This movie. I, and it's and it sickens me to say, but here's why I have to say it. And I, like, we're working. We could do a whole nother podcast when it comes to the philosophy of like separating the artist from the art, and that's a very very complicated thing. But if I hadn't known the controversy about Woody Allen, if I hadn't known that he would have done all these things, and if I would have, I can tell you, Annie Hall is one of those movies that if sixteen year old me would have seen it. Just like when Harry Mentali, one of my favorite movies in the world is when Harry Mentali, she would have fallen in love with Annie Hall. Like that would have been her go-to thing that she watches like every year with Harry Mentali and with yeah. You Got Mail because I'm a sucker. And I noticed that like when we're watching the documentary and you were showing some of the clips from his movies and you were kind of taking a liking to some of those lines. Uh-huh. And I was, and in my mind, I'm like, man, shut this pretentious ass up. Like, I don't want to hear any no, of that. No, you say that because you already have, yeah. like, you already have, yeah. like, uh, the knowledge of, like, what a monster he is. And the thing is, is that, I mean, it makes me sick to have to say it out loud. But it's just like the Bill Cosby thing for me. I mean, and again, we're not going to get into it because we could be on this podcast for a whole nother hour. But a monster can make fabulous art. And that, unfortunately, is the most disgusting, unfortunate thing about it. I'm not going to go back here and I'm not going to watch all of the rest of his discographies. Filmography. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Discovery. He's not a rapper or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not going to go back and I'm not going to watch the rest of his filmography, the rest of his films. But Annie Hall was fantastic. And I loved every second of watching it. But after I turned it off, like, I had full knowledge of the fact, like, the man that created this... You know, unfortunately, we live in a messy, warped world where like, the brilliant mind that created this was also the same person that took advantage of somebody that in no way could ever stand up for themselves. Mm-hmm. That's a mess and that's atrocious. And the fact that he's still not getting repercussions for this, like not in like a legal or court system is just it's just unbelievable. It really is. Yeah. So definitely check out this docu series if you haven't. Once again, on HBO Max, four parts, very long. Each episode is probably like the very least an hour. And you know me, I don't like true crime shit, but this was really engrossing. Yeah. So yeah, check it out. Very great piece. I think it, I think it was made over like the course of three years, something yeah, like that. It Start- was really good. It was really good. And the and like for his children and for his, Mia, they were so honest. And every single episode, I was like, I can't believe they're actually saying all of this. You know. Yeah. Very very raw. Very raw documentary for sure. So go check it out. Uh, and what, what streaming service was it? HBO Max. HBO Max. Yeah. So yeah. 
Great docuseries. Woody Allen, you're not so great. You're horrible, by the way. I will push you down a flight of stairs and beat you with a vacuum cleaner if I ever saw you in real life. Just so you know. Same thing with Bill Cosby. I'll push you down a flight of stairs. Yeah. If I had a chance. So, that's it. On that super positive note, with that super positive episode of ILS, you know, we had to do it to you guys. We are in Living Spanglish. Despite how dark things may be sometimes, know that we love you. We love you. We love you. And we stand with you. We out. Ooh.